Amen. Great job in leading us to our worship team. They always do an excellent job. We're going to be in Leviticus chapter 26 this morning, and as you're turning there, I want to dismiss our children and our leaders upstairs for our kids' crew worship time. They're going to make their way to the front and then head upstairs for kids' crew. We're working our way through the Bible right now, and we've been reading for the last oh, week in the book of Leviticus. Last week, we studied a passage of Scripture in Leviticus chapter 16, but in laying that out, we talked about really what the, the center of the book of Leviticus points us to a holy God. And at the very heart of the book of Leviticus, chapter 16, is the, the detail of the Day of Atonement. It was a, a celebration as well as a day of repentance, a day for honoring the Lord while also focusing on the repentance made possible through the payment for sin, and that that lies at the very heart, not only of the book of Leviticus, but actually of the entire law or the Pentateuch, the five books, the first five books of the Old Testament. The very center of those is Leviticus chapter 16, and it's pointing us to how we can be a holy people who live for a holy God. Well, today we're going to look at another passage of Scripture in Leviticus chapter 26 that is also pointing us to how we are to live as a holy people and the blessing that comes when we walk in the holiness that God calls us to and we honor Him. Maybe you've heard reports this week from what's happening on the campus of a Christian college in Kentucky, Asbury University, and there is a, a revival. A lot of people are talking about a revival that has broken out on the campus of Asbury University where it's, it's going, it's been going for several days now that there are students who have gathered in the chapel at Asbury and they're singing and they're, and they're praying, they're reading scripture, they're confessing sin, they're calling out to God. It's, it's really a, a neat thing to hear reports of, of what God is doing, how the Holy Spirit is moving. But if, if you've been reading any of that or paying any attention, maybe you've heard about that this week. I think when we, when we see something like that, sometimes there's a bit of, uh, oh, I don't know, there's a tendency of sorts to think, oh, wow, isn't that, that's great. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be incredible if God would do that? And and I'll acknowledge it would be incredible if God would move in that way. And yet sometimes we, we elevate an experience like that above just the power of living for the Lord every day. And, and it doesn't have to be one or the other. That's not my point. I'm, I'm not trying to make the argument that one is better than the other, one is, one is more sacred or one is more special or to be desired over the other. But the, the point I want to make is that we, we don't have to just pray for a sweeping, powerful movement of God, a, a, a falling of the Holy Spirit, a fresh wind, a fresh fire in that sense it's not wrong to seek that. It's not wrong to desire that. And yet, if we become so enraptured in, in with the idea of that, we miss what God does in the, the little moments, the, the holy moments, the seemingly normal moments that we encounter every day. And as we think about this passage in particular, 
I think this passage points us to the blessing of God that we live with and experience in the everyday. Yes, we want to see God move. Yes, we would, it would be such an enormous blessing if God would bring sweeping revival across our nation. And I pray that that would happen. And yet, we don't live on the mountaintops, so to speak, right? The mountaintop experiences are wonderful, and praise God for them. But most of our life is spent in the valley. And so if you come into this place this morning, and, and perhaps it feels like, man, I'm, I'm in that valley that you describe. I'm not on the mountaintop. I'm not, I'm not in that place. I'm, I'm, I would describe my life as being, or at least my moment, as being in the valley, just walking through, and perhaps even it feels like trudging through the normalcy, the mundane, the ubiquitousness of the, of the valley. Can I just encourage you that there's, there's something special to being faithful in the little things and seeking God in the, the normal rhythms of life that makes even the mountaintops all the more special as we learn to live in holiness and walk in holiness day by day, moment by moment. Or to borrow from something we talked about even a few weeks ago when we studied how God spoke to Moses through the burning bush. That burning bush might rightly be described as a mountaintop type of moment. I mean, that's a, that's a top that's a top 10, really, that's a top moment in anyone's life, right? If we were to see God speaking to us, calling to us from a burning bush, even in Moses' life, that was a once-in-a-lifetime moment. And yet we see that Moses was so moved by the same God who spoke to him from the fire of the burning bush that he led the people through the, the normalcy of the everyday as well. May we be a people who give God thanks for the, the mountaintops, the burning bush moments, but also who seek to be faithful to Him in the valleys, in the everyday moments. And I really think that this passage in particular points us to how we can walk faithfully in the everyday. So let's read together, if, if you would join me in Leviticus chapter 26. We're going to begin in verse 3 and read through verse 13 together this morning. If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season, and the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time for sowing, and you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securely. I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid, and I will remove harmful beasts from the land, and the sword shall not go through your land. You shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you and will confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat old store, long kept, and you shall clear out the old to make way for the new. I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. It's interesting that in this passage, what we find are 
the, the blessings that come through walking with the Lord. Now, chapter 26 itself gives us both sides of the coin, both sides of the equation, if you will, that it's both the blessing and the curse. In these verses, in verses 3 through 13, the Lord lays out clearly the blessing that comes along with obedience. And then in the verses that follow, verse 14 through uh, roughly verse 40, you, you have the curses that will happen. So it's, again, the other side of that. If we don't walk with the Lord in obedience, if we disobey, it's, it's the, the ways that we enter into judgment, and, and if we want to call it just in a, in a sweeping sense, the curse that comes through disobedience. And then, even in the verses that follow that, there's, a, there's, there's a, signs pointing to forgiveness and God's restoration that even in His judgment, even in His dealing with sin, God will be faithful and God will remember the covenant that He established. Even these verses, if you just study them in that way, point to the history of the story of Israel, a people who God called to live as a holy people, a people that God, to whom God gave a law and statutes and commands that they should walk in them. And he, and he told them that if they would obey and they would walk in these statutes, they would be blessed. If they would disobey, they would experience the judgment, the consequence that comes. Of course, for a season, we see they walk in obedience, but by and large, there were years and years of disobedience, generations even, of disobedience and rebellion, after which time God brought judgment. He brought the consequence of sin, but even in that, there was faithfulness. Faithfulness to the covenant, faithfulness to the, the promise that He made, that He would restore, that He would remember the remnant among His people. And I think this, this is really important for us to understand because, yes, this is detailing the history of the children of Israel, but it's also speaking to us as God's people today, because we are. We are God's, God's people by covenant through faith in Christ. We've gathered here to worship today. We've gathered in this, in this place to lift high the name of Jesus and sing songs and study the Word because in doing so, in our time of corporate worship, we're acknowledging that we are the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ, and that we want to live for Him. And so this speaks to the Israelites, yes, but it also speaks to us that if we would walk in obedience, we would experience God's blessing. Notice something really key in this passage, though, is that this isn't just given to individuals. This is given to a, a people. I would say it this way, that Leviticus 26 speaks not to a person, but to a people. It, this, isn't about, this isn't about me. This is about we. This is, this is instructions for us as a whole. Now, that applies to each one of us individually, but the reason I point this out is it's important that we understand that this is an instruction to a people of how we are to walk. We collectively are to reflect the kingdom of God. There is the, there is the, the danger of sorts that if we read this as being all about me, that when we experience any kind, any kind of hardship, any kind of difficulty, then we, then we automatically think, well, what, I must not be obeying the Lord. I must be walking in disobedience somehow. Well, hear me and hear what the Word is saying here. Obedience does not produce God's blessing. I'll say that again because it's so important. 
Obedience does not produce God's blessing. God does not bless you because you obey simply. Rather, it is, it is the blessing of God that enables us to live in obedience to his commands. We can obey because Jesus became for us the righteousness of God. We can obey and experience his blessing and his peace and all the things that come when we walk in obedience because of what the Lord has done for us and not the other way around. We don't obey in order to earn God's favor. We've earned God's favor because of Jesus and his work on the cross. And now we can live obediently to the command of God. And that's such an important key for us to understand as we look at this passage. Because this passage does say clearly that if we live in obedience, we will experience God's rich blessing. In fact, there are four ways distinctively that I see in these verses, and we're going to look at these together, that we experience God's blessing through our obedience. But again, to be clear, we don't obey so that we experience these things. We can experience these things in obedience because of what God has already done for us. Because Jesus was obedient to the will of the Father, you can be obedient in the, in the little things and experience His blessing in your life. And we see four ways. The first of those ways that we, that we experience God's blessing through obedience is in His provision. In fact, the, the bulk of this passage that we read today really points us to the ways that God will provide, the ways that He will deal with us with blessing and bounty and goodness when we walk in obedience. Look in verse 3. If you walk in my statutes, observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season, and the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. He goes on to describe even further, your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time for sowing, and you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securing. Jump down to verse 9, I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you and will confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat old store, long kept, and shall clear out the old and make way for the new. And so God is saying that if you will walk in obedience, there is, there is a, a rich blessing that comes as I provide for you. Because with God's blessing comes this provision. In fact, the way that we perhaps see it most clearly is in God's provision, in the ways that God provides. There are two ways specifically that, that I think we could describe His provision here. One is fruit. And of course, He's He's talking using the analogy of, well, not just the analogy, but even the promise itself of literal fruit. The, the Lord is saying, if you, will, if you will obey me, you will be fruitful. And he's talking about the harvest and the, and, and the grape harvest, and I will make you fruitful. But not only will God provide for our physical needs with fruitfulness, but there's a, a spiritual component to fruitfulness as well. 
There's spiritual fruit that we produce. The New Testament has much to say about spiritual fruit, right? Go to John chapter 15. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Last summer, we devoted actually the entire summer to the study of the fruit of the Spirit. And we looked at all the ways that God works in our lives as we walk in obedience, producing His fruit in us, a spiritual fruit that is the product of God's work, of the Holy Spirit's work. So there's fruit that comes as a, as a sign of God's provision, that God, God demonstrates that He is providing for our needs by giving us fruit by giving us the thing that we need in the moment that we need it. Have you ever experienced God providing for you in this way? Maybe it was, maybe it was a, a literal provision, a, a physical need of some sort. You had a physical need, and there was that moment, and you were worried and concerned, and then, and then God just provided for you in a way that you, that you couldn't describe. There are so many examples that I can point to in my life of ways that this has happened. You know, there's moments that we're thinking, Lord, how are we going to pay this bill? How are we going to take care of this need? How are we going to... And, and God just, He provides. He shows off and says, here, I, I've got this. Don't worry about this. I'm, I'm going to take care of you. When we see God's provision and we experience that fruit of His goodness and His mercy, it's meant to, it's meant to draw us into obedience. Now, we don't obey in order that we would get the fruit, right? We don't obey so that God, because then we're obeying for the blessing and not for the relationship that comes with the Lord. But when we walk by faith with Him, we experience the blessing of, of fruitfulness, of God's provision. The second way that we see this provision, though, is in His favor. So there's fruit, yes, but there's also there's God's favor in our lives. Just His, his sense of favor just the sense that God is going before us. And it may not be meeting a physical need or even an emotional sort of need, but God is just making a way where it seems like there would be no way. God opens doors that, wouldn't, that we otherwise wouldn't have expected to be opened. God provides a clear path when what we would expect, maybe even what we've experienced, are obstacles, hurdles, barriers to overcome. And it's as, it's as if all the things just sort of clear and the path seems straight before us. It's the favor of God making a way for us to walk in obedience so that we can experience the blessing of His provision. God just shows off sometimes in life, and He gives us abundantly, and He provides for us in ways. And, and whenever that happens, we ought to be quick to, to give Him praise, to turn our praise back to Him, to give Him thanks publicly to, to acknowledge His goodness, to, to recognize that these things have happened because of what God has done and what God is doing in my life. I pray that you would experience God's provision as you walk in obedience and that as you experience His provision, you would be quick to give God praise. Second way that we see God works and we, as we experience His blessing through obedience is that He brings peace. He brings peace. Verse 6, I will give peace in the land and you shall lie down and none shall make you afraid. I will remove harmful beasts from the land and the sword shall not go through your land. God will give us peace. The Lord brings peace to our hearts and our lives. In fact, I would contend that in my own life, 
perhaps the greatest blessing of all that I personally have experienced through obedience is the peace that God brings in our hearts. When we walk in obedience to Him, there's peace. There's peace in doing what is right, in walking in what is good, in following the Lord's leadership, walking in a right relationship with Him. There's a peace that comes. The New Testament speaks of the peace that passes understanding. Paul writes about that to the Philippians. You may be familiar with that in Philippians. This peace that passes understanding is a sign of of God's movement in our hearts. When we experience that peace, when we live in, when when we walk in that peace, that is a blessing that God has given to us, removing fear, removing doubt. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone who is obeying the Lord will have peace 100% of the time, at least not peace in the way we pursue it, in the way we seek it. Because what we think of peace is we think of peace as the, the feeling uh, that, that there's no anxiety, there's no stress, there's no worry. But sometimes the peace comes in the midst of the anxiety, the worry, the stress. The peace is the assurance of God's presence with us. And I don't want to say much more because I'll be getting into my fourth point in just a minute if I keep going with that, right? But nonetheless, we see God's blessings as we experience peace, inner peace, peace that passes understanding, peace that that goes beyond what our circumstances can dictate. Peace that doesn't make sense if you just add up all the things that we have to stress over. And yet there's peace because we we obey the Lord and we experience His blessing. The third thing, and I'm just following the pattern of the text here, the third thing is God's protection. So we've seen God's provision, we've seen God's peace, we see God's protection in the next verse. You shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Verse 8, five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. Why would this happen? Better yet, how would this happen? Because God is protecting His people. Because in, in their obedience, they are experiencing the protection of God. The Lord is saying to them, if you will do what I've instructed you to do, then you will, you will experience the blessedness of my protection. My hand will be on you. You will enter into the land that I've promised to you and to your forefathers, and you will live in that land free from any kind of worry because you'll have my peace, but you'll also have my protection. The Lord is the shelter and the shield, the way that Psalms describes Him. He's our rock and our fortress, but he's also a shield about us. So he is the place that we turn to where we would dwell securely. That's his peace. But he's also the shield about us. That's his protection. And we experience that as we walk in obedience. When we obey the Lord, we find his protection surrounding us. His protection making possible what might seem to us as impossible making a way where it might seem that there is no way because the Lord is the one who is 
protecting us. And then the fourth thing that we see in this passage, the fourth way that we experience God's blessing. And I would contend that perhaps to some degree this one is the greatest, but maybe, maybe it would even be fair to say really is true of all the other three, is His presence. The provision of God really is, is in direct proportion to His presence in our lives. The peace of God is in direct proportion to His presence in our lives. The protection of God is in proportion to His presence in our lives. That God will be with us. Verse 11, I will make my dwelling among you. And my soul shall not abhor you, and I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. This is the very presence of God dwelling in our hearts, living with us. And we know that we experience that through the indwelling of His Holy Spirit by faith in Jesus. The Bible makes this clear. In, in so many places, I would say most plainly, as I understand it, in Romans chapter 8 speaks of the, the presence of His Holy Spirit in our hearts and how the Spirit is given to us so that we may live with God's presence, His power at work in us, in our lives, and that nothing can separate us from that presence of God because He's given us His Holy Spirit just as Jesus promised. But notice also what He says in verse 13. I am the Lord your God. That phrase is key. That phrase actually is repeated numerous times throughout the book of Leviticus. If you've been reading along as we've been studying and reading through the Bible, then you, you no doubt are familiar with this phrase. But even in this chapter alone, that phrase, I am the Lord your God, is repeated five times in Leviticus chapter 26. It's in Leviticus 26.1. It's in verse 2. It's here in verse 13. Again in verse 44. Again in verse 45. Five different times in Leviticus 26, the Lord makes this declaration to the children of Israel. I am the Lord your God. Now, if he's said this repeatedly, it's, it's important for us to understand, is it not? And the thing that the Lord is saying in repeating this declaration is he is declaring his power. He's reminding Israel of His authority. He's reminding them that because of His presence, they may have provision, peace, protection. Because He is the Lord. He is mighty and powerful over all things. And if they would but walk in obedience to Him, they would experience the blessings that come with His Lordship. Interestingly, we have these four blessings we also have the, the, the opposite of sorts that is laid out in the verses that follow as well. Just as we can experience God's blessing when we obey, we experience, we experience the consequence of our disobedience as well. If the blessing of obedience, if one of the blessings of obedience is God's provision, we see that one of the consequences of our disobedience is God's judgment. If the blessing of obedience that we experience is God's peace, then we see that the consequence of disobedience is that we live with fear. If the blessing of obedience is God's protection, we see that 
the consequence of our disobedience is the struggle, is the constant attack. If the blessing of God's obedience is His presence dwelling with us, among us, we see that the consequence of our disobedience is isolation, separation from God, feeling cut off. Now, are we ever truly cut off from the Lord? No. Not if we're His children. Not if we've called on Jesus as Lord and Savior. We're indwelled by His Holy Spirit, and nothing can take that away. Romans 8.32, who can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Nothing. Nothing on this earth, nothing beyond this earth, and yet the isolation that we feel is its own form of judgment. We feel cut off. It's a feeling more than a reality, I suppose. But the isolation that we feel reminds us that when we, when we disobey and we seek to do things on our own, in our own will, in our own power, in our own strength, then we come up short every time. Because the blessing is in obedience. The blessing is in response to God's goodness. The blessing is the experience of fruitfulness and favor as we seek to honor Him. I suppose the simple question that we might ask and, and if you're truly thinking and kind of following the logic of this, then maybe the question, the, the conclusion that you might come to is just this simply. Is it possible to experience God's provision, His peace, His protection, and His presence even though we disobey? And the answer would be simply, yes, it is. It is possible to experience God's provision, His blessing, even in our disobedience. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 tells us that God is patient with us. That he's, he's not slow to keep His promise. Rather, He's patient, not wanting any to perish, but wanting us all to come to faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 says that God is patient and He's kind. It truly literally says, love is patient, love is kind. But love in the context of 1 Corinthians 13 is the very nature, it's the very character, the essence of who God is. That He's patient, that He's kind. And so yes, because of God's patience, because of His kindness, because of His mercy, we can experience His blessing in spite of our disobedience, in the midst of even our disobedience. But anyone who is willingly living in disobedience and, 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 and just claiming the favor of God demonstrates that they don't understand the, the depth of what the Lord has done for them. They don't understand truly the very magnitude of their sin for which Jesus suffered and died on the cross. Because when we understand the lengths that the Savior went to in order to redeem us from our sin. How could we not turn to Him? How could we not walk in obedience? Not perfectly. We're human. We're fallen. But even in our, even in our sin, even in our imperfection, there ought to be, I, I believe, the, the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit drawing us into a right relationship. 1 John chapter 2, by the way, speaks of that. And so we seek to walk in obedience, not in order to earn God's favor, but rather because God has poured out His favor, and we experience that through faith in Jesus. And now, because 
of our faith in Christ, we can walk in fruitfulness. We can experience His favor. We can know the blessing that comes through obedience. The choice is yours. The choice is mine. Will you obey? Will you obey? Will you do as Leviticus 26.3 says? Will you walk in the Lord's statutes and observe His commandments and do them? When we do, we experience His blessing. We experience His provision, His peace, His protection, His presence in our lives. May we be a people who seek to walk in the blessings of the Lord. In a moment, we're going to move into a time of response, a time of invitation. And I pray that today our response might be to turn from sin, to confess sin, that that the conviction of the Holy Spirit would be on us today, leading us to walk in obedience. And even as we sing the song in a moment, the song, I am thine, O Lord, and the, the song begins, I am thine, O Lord, I have heard thy voice. Even today, as we've heard God speaking to us through his word, may we respond to him in a way that says, Lord, I'm yours. And as your child, I want to live in your blessing. As your child, I want to experience all all the richness, all the goodness that comes with your favor as I seek you, as I'm obedient to you. May we turn away from our sin and turn to the arms of a loving Savior today. And if you're here, and there's never been a moment when you've called on Jesus as Savior and Lord, there's never been that moment when you've taken that first step of obedience and trusting Christ. And even as we sing, I pray that you would, you would make your way to the front. Brad and I will be standing here at the front. There's nothing we would love more than to walk you through a prayer of repentance where you would call on Jesus as Savior. You would say, Lord, I acknowledge your power over my sin, and even now, by faith, I trust in you. And I surrender my life to you, confessing you as Lord and Savior. If you're ready today to acknowledge Jesus as Savior, to live in the blessing that comes with walking by faith in his statutes, his commandments, then I, I encourage you to respond in obedience to him today. And so as we prepare for this moment, I want to invite you to join me in a moment of prayer with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Our band is going to make their way to the front and they're going to begin to play the song that we will sing together in a moment. But even as they do, I want to lead us in a moment of prayer, a prayer of surrender, a prayer of acknowledging God's power and his work in our lives as we look to him, as we call out to him as we seek to acknowledge our sin, confess our sin, and walk in righteousness and obedience before the Lord. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts today? I pray that you would stir in our midst. Convict us of sin. Lord, if there's an area where we are living in stubborn rebellion toward you through your spirit as an act of kindness Lord bring conviction to us move in our hearts Lord as we confess sin as we acknowledge our wrong bring the fresh wind the fresh fire of your forgiveness the overwhelming sense of your of your goodness of your mercy to us 
Spirit, move in our hearts. May we be obedient and faithful in the day-to-day rhythms of our life, walking with you day by day. And yes, Lord, we pray for revival. Yes, we pray for a movement of your Holy Spirit, but we also acknowledge your goodness in the simple rhythms of daily life and pray that you would lead us as we seek to obey you. Move in our hearts now as we respond to you in faith. And all this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I invite you to